This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. People, we are back in action. Holy schmoly. It has been a long time. If I'm not mistaken, our last show, the last time you saw me before the Republican debate in Milwaukee, which we'll talk about and a whole bunch more throughout the next hour or so, uh, the last time you saw me in studio back here in Miami in the free state of Florida was July 27th. That's when we shut down. The off the grid thing started a little bit early because of the way the weekend worked out and a few other things that we were trying to accomplish. So it has been about five weeks uh, with the exception of the couple days in Milwaukee for the Republican debate. I have been completely MIA off the grid. We have been building this brand new studio, which I am super psyched to finally show you guys today. It has been blood, sweat, tears, nails, glue, plywood, drywall, all of the stuff. I really think what you're gonna see over the next couple of weeks, what we have built here is the Primo studio on the internet. We're gonna be debuting a couple new camera angles. You're gonna see one new camera angle today, but we're gonna have a couple others that you're gonna be seeing over the next few weeks. We're not completely done with the studio. There's a few things because of Joe Biden's economy that are taking a little while to get delivered, things that should have been here weeks, if not months ago. Uh, so we are gonna unleash all of that, but I'm just so proud, uh, just looking at it in the camera here, I'm so proud of what we built here. Uh, it's just so freaking awesome. I, I wanna thank uh, Connor and Phoenix and Brock who are in studio with me right now. These guys just busted their butts over the last couple of weeks and our contractors and architect and everyone we worked with. Uh, we're gonna be adjusting something. So I have no doubt that those of you in the comments will be saying, okay, change this light. Let's move this, that, this, the other thing. Uh, we will be doing things on the fly, but more importantly than, than any of that, uh, I am incredibly excited to be back. Also note, there is a new camera angle. You are seeing a little more of my body and my hands and you are now seeing the desk, people often said, Dave, we wanna see more of you. I said, that's a totally different type of show, uh, but we split the difference and you'll see a little bit more of me right now. Uh, we've got some old stand-up tapes behind me over there, all, all kinds of interesting things. Uh, basketball signed by my man, Clyde Drexler up there. Uh, the Constitution, the Bill of Rights, couple other uh, founding documents uh, right over that way and all sorts of stuff. Uh, real quick before we dive into it, and today's show is gonna sort of be a recap of some of what got me here in that little intro that we played you up top. Uh, that was seven studios worth of stuff in this is now our 11th season. We started the Rubin Report in 2013. Uh, obviously it's 2023 right now. Uh, we have jumped through seven studios. Real quick, for those of you that were playing along at home and you can watch it again later. That first studio, of course, we started on the Young Turks. I was there for about a year. Uh, the second one, which you might've noticed, Ed Bagley Jr., actor Ed Bagley Jr. with me. Th that's the one people don't really remember. For about two or three months, right after I left the Young Turks, I was at a network called Riot, R-Y-O-T. They were a startup digital network. We were there for about two months. I could tell they were kind of going in a different direction and I, I wasn't really thrilled with where things were headed. It was, it was a lark. It was just like, let's just try this thing. And I obviously, I really wanted to leave the Young Turks. I, I don't even think Riot exists anymore, but, but it, was, it was all good while we were there. Uh, that was studio number two. From there, I went to Aura TV. And of course, that was Larry King's 
digital network. That's really where the show started taking off. That was that first show uh, with Sam Harris, who we're going to talk a bit about uh, coming up. Uh, then after that, after Aura TV, I, the show really blew up, and I realized, you know, I, I want to go independent. Like, why am I? Why am I doing this for someone else? I want to do it for myself. That's when I bought, or we bought, our first house. We moved into what was the primo studio when the show full on exploded and, and became something way bigger than I could have ever anticipated. Our first garage studio uh, in Sherman Oaks, California. From there in the midst of COVID, we moved to another house in Florida uh, because the riots were going by our doors and I wasn't thrilled about that. <laughs> so uh, in any event, we moved there. And then what you've seen, and then of course we moved to Miami and what we've been showing you for the last year, you were just looking at a digital screen. A lot of people didn't know that. It was just a digital screen behind me, a digital image on a screen behind me of our last set. When we moved into this house, there was a there was a movie theater upstairs that was perfectly soundproofed. We were so freaking busy moving here and moving operations and everything else. And then life got crazy with two kids that we just didn't have time to build out the studio the way I wanted. So it took us about a year and a half, but here we are as of September 5th. Uh, 2023 in the brand spanking new uh, studio. And I just, okay, just quickly though, before I get lost in all of that, uh, on, on a personal note, this uh, this off the great August thing, uh, I think this year more than any other year was probably the the most important to me for a couple of reasons. You know, first off, we, had, we have kids now uh, who are doing great, by the way, Justin's starting to walk, Luke's starting to talk, like it's, it's all great. Uh, getting away from the machine a little bit, really being able to focus on them we did 10 days in a Mexican rainforest. I, you know, no phones, no TV, no anything, just purging. I literally, as I said to Michael Malice a couple of weeks ago in Milwaukee, I, I, I didn't look at anything. I actually didn't even read any books. Like this year, I just, we just sat and relaxed. And then of course we worked on studio stuff here, but just purging information and just coming back with fresh eyes to all of this stuff. So even in the last couple of days where I've jumped back on Twitter a little bit to see things and you see the old fights and you see this one's angry at this one and this one's canceling this guy and that politician can't speak at this one, blah, blah, blah. It's like, all right, we're back at the circus and it was a crazy way to get back into the circus, right? So I go three weeks off the grid, then I show up in Milwaukee, like full on in the circus. It was all crazy, but I'm really refreshed and ready to go. I do want to show you one other thing that happened. Uh, the locals people saw this. Uh, about 10 days ago, I went for a facial, okay? It's part of the skincare routine. Went for a routine facial. I wanted to come back looking refreshed for you guys. Some sort of chemical got in my eye and my God, look at this image. That's right, they had to uh, numb my eye and what you're seeing there, the Terminator one that you're seeing there, they then put some kind of chemical in your eye to see if there's a scratch. And what you're seeing over my cornea there, I had a crazy chemical burn basically uh, on my eye. And for about six days, basically couldn't see out of my eye, blurry vision, very sensitive to light. There I am, Dan Crenshaw style. Uh, but I am back in business. I can see, I am psyched, I am ready to go. Connor, should we show them the new angle or did you have a moment you want to spring it on me? Why don't we show them one of our new angles that we're going to have here at the Rubin Report when I'm doing stuff. There's a new angle for you. Look at that. And sometimes we're going to put stuff wait, over here and things will be happening. Look at that. Hey, is that beautiful or what? Look at those beautiful fluorescent lights. I am very, very excited. Okay. So what are we doing, guys? We are back at it. I said to Phoenix this morning, I want to ease a little bit back in, right? Like I don't want to like just jump into, okay, here we go. Politics, blah, blah, blah. I want to tell a story that I think is connected very much to my years of going independent, how the constant battle between new media and old media is, is really encompassing so much of what is wrong with everything right now and also what's right with everything right now. And then we found actually the perfect clip uh, to kick us off today, uh, which was Bill Maher. Yeah, I'm still going to talk about Bill Maher occasionally. Uh, he was on Joe Rogan's podcast and Joe Rogan, little known podcaster. He's doing okay down there in Texas, uh, talking about independence, the home studio, and why even a guy like Bill, a Hollywood guy, tons of money, an institution unto himself, why he now is even doing the home studio podcast thing. How are you enjoying doing your podcast? You know, I love it, especially since I've been thrown out of work by right. the strike, you know, so it's what I have left plus the touring. 
but that, you know, touring is a couple of weekends a month. Podcasting doesn't take that much time either. I don't do it every day like you, but it's nice to have an outlet. It's also nice to be able to talk to people uh, in a non-political way. Yeah, it's also nice to have like a pretty completely open format so conversations can really air out. Right. You know, when you, you don't have to yes. worry about running out of time. And right. You also can kind of let them breathe a little because sometimes you really want to let someone talk for a long time to try to, before you try to interject and pick apart their conversation, their argument, you really want to, I want to know what you're really yeah. thinking. I don't want to be confused. Again, that's kind of what you pioneered. Yeah. And we're grateful for it. And um, I, I do like that. I also find... It's interesting. The setting makes a big difference as to what arouses the furies on the left. If I said so many of the things that I've said on Club Random, on a podcast, on Real Time, on HBO, they would have had my head. Yeah. But somehow when I say it in the setting of the podcast, in my own home, blowing the pot smoke somehow it's okay. And I find that very interesting. I find that interesting too. And the reason I find that interesting is because remember, it's not TV, it's HBO. The whole idea of HBO as a network was that that's where you could say all the things you couldn't say on network television, even on regular cable television. HBO was this bastion of free speech. HBO, what did every comedian for 30 years, up until, say, the last 10 years, where most of them have gone to Netflix or Hulu or do it on their own, where did you want your special? You would say, I want an HBO special. It wasn't just, I want a comedy special. I want an HBO special. So it's interesting that Bill, I've never heard him say that before, is now saying that there are things he can say on his podcast that he can't say on HBO. It's also interesting noting that Bill is allowed to have guests on his podcast uh, that he cannot have on real time, which is uh, pretty interesting. I do want to say, guys, by the way, uh, Joe Rogan's making about, what is it, 100, 200 mil a year? He's got a freaking red velvet curtain behind him. You know how much money we put in? We spared no expense on this studio. Wait till you see when we have live guests in here what it fully looks like. Looks like. And by the way, speaking of live guests, uh, we were supposed to have Governor Ron DeSantis as our first live in-studio guest tomorrow. That was gonna be, it was gonna be a great reveal and you know, it would have been just like a perfect fitting thing because he was so integral as to why I even moved to Florida in the first place. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Uh, but of course, there was this uh, very intense hurricane that hit the West Coast and the northern part of Florida. Uh, so he's been uh, focusing on that, which, by the way, he's doing this is a bit of a sidebar. He's doing an incredible job with. Uh, so we are going to do a, uh, a Skype interview with him tomorrow, not live in studio. We're shelving that. We'll, we'll make it happen. But anyway, the point of all of this, why I wanted to show you that clip, partly it's that it frames this idea of independent media the home studio, the fact that there's these new pipes like Rumble and Locals and everything else that allow you guys to get information in a, in a hopefully honest or, I don't know, slightly more mature or decent way than you might get from the networks. Uh, but the networks still want their control over you and they have for quite some time. Uh, what Bill Maher was saying right there sounded very familiar to me. You might remember this clip, and this was also fitting for today's sort of retrospective show that we're doing. Uh, Tucker Carlson, you know that guy Tucker Carlson, was on Fox. Now he's completely independent, putting stuff up on Twitter, which I am told Twitter is now known as X. Apparently that happened while I was gone. Uh, remember Tucker, five years ago, coming to little podcaster Dave Rubin's garage and saying this. Tucker Carlson. I am glad to have you here, my friend. I'm glad to be here. I love this. I, I don't know that anyone has ever walked in here and been more impressed by the Rubin Report. Because I work in television, so I know what this is, and it's just the coolest thing I've seen in a long time. <laughs> Are you jealous? 
Are you joking? Yes, I'm jealous. You have millions and millions of viewers. I drive across. You have a massive staff. <laughs> but I don't have the control that you have, which is wonderful. I don't have the control which you have, which is wonderful. Subsequently, five years later, he is no longer with Fox. He's doing his own thing. Uh, the war, the information war, that Matrix-style war that I'm always talking about, us versus the machine, it's all here now. It is absolutely all here right now. And I want to show you a clip now of Tucker Carlson doing his new show, which is on X, Twitter, whatever you want to call it, talking to Dave Portnoy. Now, Dave Portnoy, we've shown some clips of him over the years from Barstool Sports. He is a, another, I would say, digital pioneer, right? He wanted to do a sports thing. He saw how ESPN corporate ABC Disney owned ESPN was going completely woke. He started Barstool Sports. It absolutely blew up. Then he, then of course the machine tried to cancel him, all sorts of stuff. Uh, but he has turned it into an absolute sports and culture, uh, cultural powerhouse. And he and Tucker sat down over the weekend. Now, let me ask you this before the Fox unwinded. Um, you mean I got fired? Yes. Did you think you like, were you uh, ardent, like go Fox, go guy or do you... my view on Fox hasn't really changed. They let me say whatever I want whatever I wanted, really, for 14 years. And I, I'll never stop being grateful for that. And then, obviously, I said too much. And I'm not exactly sure what I said that was bad. No one ever told me. But one day, they're like, nope, can't have this anymore. And they fired me. And I even told them as they were firing me, like, it's your business. I made a pencil up, never work for anyone else again. And, I'll, and I never will. But um, I can't be mad about it. I mean, they were they were great to me. The Murdochs were always nice to me. And... Uh, and one day, for whatever reason, they'd had enough. So I wasn't, my feelings weren't hurt. I was not expecting it. So were you, like, when, for, for me, when I was with Penn, I knew there were things. It's like, oh, I can't go there. They made that clear. Did you feel like at Fox you could say whatever you want? Well, there was always internal. I mean, they, the Murdochs were always not, they never got in my way at all. They were always super nice to me. But there were, you know, small, it's a company run by fearful women. Yep. You know what I mean? And there were always, like, neck you know second tier people who are hassling my producers but no one ever called me company run by fearful women now, i don't mean to make this about fox and i do go on fox obviously i'm sure i'll be on fox later this week they always let me say whatever i want so i don't want to focus on fox so specifically here but this idea of these sort of a company run by like middle management i don't think it means it matters if they're men or women specifically like this managerial class, not the people who build anything, right? So in that case, the Murdochs, they built the company, right? They built the media empire and not the people who tell the people what they want to communicate, right? Like, so Tucker's out there as the, as the star of the network. So he's producing something. They're producing the freaking pipes and the infrastructure that allows people to hear it, but that there's this managerial class in the middle. And we see this almost with everything in society. There's a bunch of people who create almost nothing other than problems, right? And they seem to be the ones that, as Tucker was saying, didn't want Tucker to say whatever it is that he wanted to say. Now, I also, I also thought it was interesting that what Tucker said there was that he will never have another boss. Like this, I'm telling you guys, like it's been obvious to me for a long time. I think if you've watched me uh, for, if you've watched me certainly for these 11 years, the beginning of that 2013 thing to now, but even if you've only watched me for the last year, like this battle between mainstream media and whatever is happening online, not to say that me or Tucker or Rogan or Bill Maher is right about everything. And we may all have our weak spots and blind spots and all of those things. Actually, I have no doubt that we do. And I'm pretty sure they would all admit that as well. But the battle between something that has been hyper-controlled that, that feeds us lie after lie after lie and gets people to swallow the lies and then say, thank you, Mork, and I, thank you, sir, may I have another, versus the bunch of people trying to figure out something, something sensible. So that's what people, actually, I can tell you this. Over the last month, when I was in airports, wherever I was going to the uh, food store, wherever I was, and people would uh, come up to me, they always say the same thing. Dave, you keep me sane. Dave, I miss you. Everybody's crazy. And it's like, that's all I'm trying to provide for you here. You can fill in the spots if you think I missed something. But the point is that seems to be that whether it's through the managerial class, whether it's the higher ups at HBO, 
as Bill Maher is talking about, whoever it is, there seems to be certain things that you cannot say, right? Whether it's HBO, whether it's Fox, uh, whether it's you as a teacher and you want to say that there are two genders, whether you want to teach an honest assessment of history, slavery, blah, 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 whether you want to say that the United States is not systemically racist, all of that stuff. And that's why independent media scares the F out of the machine and the people who want to keep spoon feeding you nonsense so that you will basically act like an automaton. So now let's shift over to another guy that's been making some sense to people. Uh, here is a video of uh, Robert F. Kennedy Jr., who unfortunately will not be on a debate stage with Joe Biden because obviously the Democrats are not going to allow that to happen. Here he is talking about how the CIA, part of the machine, uses their propaganda machine against us, the people of the United States of America. There's a provision in the CIA charter that says that the CIA cannot propagandize the American people. President Obama adopted in 2016 that essentially reopened the door for Operation Mockingbird so that the CIA began once again to, um, to propagandize American and people. How are they doing that? High-level intelligence officials are, or people associated with the intelligence industry, are running those journals, like Noah Schlackman, who runs uh, Rolling Stone, who came from Daily Beast. Daily Beast was run by John Avalon, who was, you know, who has deep ties to the intelligence uh, agencies. But even journals like Smithsonian and uh, Smithsonian and uh, National Geographic, Nature. Um, the Washington Post and the New York Times appear to be uh, compromised by the CIA. We know from the, from the um, Twitter files that both the FBI and CIA were operating portals within the uh, Twitter and Facebook that allowed them to manipulate information and to, de to deplatform people and to, you know, silence certain people that they didn't like in those, in the social media. Operation Mockingbird was a, an operation to compromise American journalists. There were uh, some 400 uh, editors, journalists, um, from, you know, all the largest publications. The New York Times had been compromised. Um, the Washington Post was basically... What do you mean by compromised for people who... Well, they were functioning, the high-level people at those at those journals were actually were working for the agency or had, you know, signed uh, secrecy agreements with the CIA and at CBS, ABC, NBC. After 75, when it all came out you know, during the church committee hearings, the CIA promised that it would no longer compromise American journalists. It continued the program to compromise journalists all over the world. And today, the CIA is the biggest funder of journalism in the world. And how about present they, day? They fund it through USAID. In that little twilight zone before you fall asleep every night, I'm thinking about what I'm going to do in the first weeks when I get into office about fixing these agencies um, one at a time. You know, that's something I'm excited about. And that is unbelievably powerful stuff. And it's kind of like, oh, let's look behind the curtain. Ugh, don't want to see that. Better put the curtain back because you don't want to think that your government, in essence, the, the three-letter agencies have been weaponized against you. But interestingly, and we'll follow up with this tomorrow, or Phoenix, maybe you can give me something on the fly. He mentions this guy, Noah Schachtman, I think his name is, who I think now works for Rolling Stone, used to be the editor-in-chief of Daily Beast. He used to write hit pieces about me all the time and about the intellectual dark web. He called me all right. I got into a big fight with him. So now really think about this for a second. This guy who RFK Jr. is saying is basically working for the CIA, who runs, at one point was running Daily Beast, running, uh, running Rolling Stone, etc., uh, he was running around calling a whole bunch of people, Jordan Peterson, Ben Shapiro, et cetera, et cetera. I don't mean to make this about me, but you see it, right? Like you can see the thing that they have, the prism that they have, that they have put in front of everyone's faces so everyone cannot get an honest estimation of what is true anymore. It is absolutely insane. And the question really is for how long Will they, and when I say they, in this case, I mean not only the three-letter agencies, but Google and YouTube and Facebook and everything else, how long 
is it that they will allow people to have these conversations on YouTube and elsewhere? I mean, that's, that literally, quite literally, is the purpose of Rumble. And I'm glad to see that Elon is opening up Twitter in a new way. Uh, but these, these on-camera propagandists, these people, some of them are sort of behind the scenes. They're the editors-in-chiefs of Rolling Stone and Daily Beast and Daily Cause and all of these things that no one knows. No one feels like they ever click it, but everyone kind of knows about it and they write mean things about people. Who are the ones that we see up front all the time? Well, they're out there all the time. They're the late night TV show hosts. Now, they used to be a bunch of really cool people. Jack Parr, a little before my time, but I've watched some of the old clips, like actually funny and interesting and irrelevant. Johnny Carson, who you know, probably my my greatest comedy hero. Uh, but now we've got guys that are just completely sold out to the machine, like Jimmy Kimmel, like Stephen Colbert, like the rest of those guys. So as you may know, right now there is a writer's strike in Hollywood. And these people, they're not funny when they have a team of 20 writers, but you take away the team of 20 writers and they're deeply unfunny. So what are they doing while none of their shows are on right now? Because they can't just do what a lot of the rest of us do, which is just get up here, have a couple people in studio with them and, and just tell you what they think. God forbid they do that. Uh, well, they're all starting a podcast and uh, here, the big five, I guess that's what they are. The big five late night show hosts are starting a podcast. It's called Strike Force Five. And here's a portion of it. Yeah. Hi, I'm Jimmy Fallon. Oh, I'm Stephen Colbert. I'm Jimmy Kimmel. I thought when you said Jimmy, you meant me, Jimmy, but you meant Jimmy, Jimmy. I always you, mean you. But when you I say always Seth, mean... Seth Meyers, who do you mean? I mean John Oliver. It's the five of us together for uh, maybe an hour a, a day. Strike Force 5 is the name of our podcast. Subscribe to it now. Spotify or wherever else you get your podcasts. But Spotify, you f Can you put the other camera angle on? Can you imagine anything worse than that? I can't. That is absolutely terrible. First off, the fact that these people, you know how much money these guys have? You know, I put a couple hundred grand into this studio. We, I'm telling you, we spared no expense and I will do anything else that we have to to make this the most beautiful, perfect, show we can possibly bring to you. And mostly I wanna thank, thank all of you that, that support me to do this, especially those of you in locals that keep us independent and allow us to do all of this stuff. But these guys are starting a podcast together and it looks like crap and they're on their camera, their little webcam things and all that. But who, does anyone watch? I mean, I don't know that anyone's watching it, just, but just the idea, these guys should also hate each other. Do you remember when Leno and Letterman, The Late Night Wars, there's a book written about it and there was a great HBO movie about it, what was it called? The Late Shift, about the Leno and Letterman when Carson was retiring and who was gonna get The Tonight Show. They hated each other because they were different at comedy, right? Like Le uh, Letterman was sardonic and irreverent and sarcastic and Leno was kind of, Leno was kind of evergreen and pleasant and whatever. Some people like one, some people like other, but they hated each other. These guys love each other because they're all just sycophants for the machine. But Dave, what do you mean they're sycophants for the machine? Please give us evidence of that sort of thing. Here's one of my favorites. This was peak COVID nonsense from blackface Jimmy Kimmel. Dr. Fauci said that if hospitals get any more overcrowded, they're going to have to make some very tough choices about who gets an ICU bed. And that choice doesn't seem so tough to me. Vaccinated person having a heart attack? Yes, come right on in. We'll take care of you. Unvaccinated guy who... Gobbled horse goo, rest in peace, Wheezy. You're oh, yeah, so unvaccinated people should basically drop dead. That was the comedy, the quote-unquote comedy that Jimmy Kimmel is giving us. I know we've showed you that clip before. Let's go to another one from the archives. This might be, if when you, when you look back, when, when people, when historians, when sociologists, scientists, aliens, look back on the three years of COVID insanity, which by the way, they're trying to bring back right now. We'll have a little more on that in just a sec. When people look back on COVID insanity, this moment by Stephen Colbert might be the pinnacle of the pathetic, sold out, grotesque vomiting that COVID brought us through the mainstream media. The vaccine.
how that man didn't go home right after that, open up his mouth, cock a gun, and blow his brains out. <laughs> We're back, baby. Uh, I have no idea. I honestly have no idea. But link that. Think about that right there. You have this guy who makes, can we check how much Colbert makes a year? Let's say he makes 10 or $15 million a year. So a giant corporation pays him 10 or $15 million a year to do comedy. But what he really is doing is activist work for the machine, for the Democrat party, uh, for big pharma, everything else. Wow, $15 million a year. Jesus, I'm in the wrong line of work. Anyway, he does that. Now let's connect that to where we started where you have Bill Maher saying, you know, there's certain things on HBO I can't say, so I do a podcast. There's Joe Rogan basically saying, that's why I do this podcast. There's Tucker going, well, you know, Fox never told me what I couldn't say, but I kind of could figure out what I couldn't say. And then you see what the machine is, right? And what is the machine? Well, it is something that constantly wants to lie to you so it can inject you with all sorts of stuff and lie to you and lock you down. You all, you all know that already, of course. But here's Rachel Maddow, in case you forgot. It means that instead of the vaccine being able, excuse me, it means for instead of the virus being able to hop from person to person to person to person, spreading and spreading, sickening some of them, but not all of them. And the ones that it doesn't sicken don't know they have it. And then they give it to even more people because they didn't recognize they were, right? Instead of the virus being able to hop from person to person to person, potentially mutating and becoming more virulent and drug resistant along the way. Now we know that the vaccines work well enough that the virus stops with every vaccinated person. A vaccinated person gets exposed to the virus. The virus does not infect them. The virus cannot then use that person to go anywhere else. It cannot use a vaccinated person as a host to go get more people. That means the vaccines will get us to the end of this. Okay, so what's interesting about that clip and the reason I've shown it to you probably 10 or 15 times over the last two years is because I think you have to think about it this way. The cynical version of that would be that she's a liar, right? That she knew she was lying and she's also an actress in the way she says everything so assuredly and all of that stuff. The cynical version is she's just a liar and she does it for whatever reason. The less cynical version, I think, is probably the more true reason, which is that she's doing exactly what she's paid to do, which is just repeat the regime talking points, right? She had no idea, right? There was no way at that point, that early on, what, what was the date on that? That was like September of 21, if I'm not mistaken. Eight, uh, sorry, that was April of 21. There was simply no way, there wasn't enough data, there wasn't enough time that had gone by or anything else to know that this was gonna be the perfect vaccine of all time and all of that stuff. But she sold it for you because she is a servant of the machine. Of course, the servants of the machine also include the President of the United States. You might remember this one from, I believe this was June of 21. The, the various shots that people are getting now cover that. They're, they're, you're okay. You're not going to. You're not going to get COVID if you have these vaccinations. Yeah. Oh, I missed that guy. Well, Joe, you're not going to believe this because I know they don't let you hold your own phone. But according to the tweeter, breaking, Jill Biden, Doctor Jill Biden, she has COVID. Yeah, she got it today. Uh, Brock did a little double checking for me on this one. Doctor Jill Biden, Doctor Jill. Uh, she's double vaxxed and double boosted and she has COVID. Now, is she going to have to hide and quarantine and stay away from 80 plus year old Joe Biden and got all of the usual nonsense? They lied about everything. Speaking of liars, here's a little Anthony Fauci recap. On vaccines, do you think that we will need booster shots this year? Do you think that is something on the distant horizon? Or do you think that's something we should be thinking about in 2021? I don't know, to be quite honest with you, Rachel, I don't know. I believe that sooner or later we will need a booster because the immunity might wane and start to trickle down. But I don't know right now, none of us know, whether it's going to be a year from now or longer or a little bit less. Yeah, I have to tell you, perhaps the most pleasant thing about being off the grid was just like not hearing his voice. Like it wasn't just, I didn't hear about Trump. 
I didn't hear anything from Biden, but just like not hearing Fauci. The reason I'm doing sort of a recap of everything is because I'm really trying to drive home what I think will be, especially as we roll into this next big election, uh, the theme of the show going forward, which is there will be a set of people trying to do something roughly true, roughly true, and then there will be a set of people that will lie, lie, lie. And you are all gonna be disappointed in, in friends and family members who will want more of the lies. People who will be on the fence that you're like, oh, maybe after all these years, they kind of get it. Or why do they keep getting COVID after all the booster shots? And Jill Biden, twice vaxxed, twice boosted. She's got COVID. Maybe I should think about this stuff a little bit differently. And still a huge percentage of people will, will fail you when they bring back masks, which they're trying to do, when they push more vaxes, when they lock down, whatever it is that they're trying to do, you are going to be sorely disappointed, not just in the corporate people who will be pushing it based on no evidence or anything else, but on your friends and your family and, and those of us who are, again, roughly sane, who are ballparking towards the truth, uh, we better kind of come together because it is going to get wacky uh, in the next year and a half leading up to this uh, big election. Uh, one more on Fauci, because the, the thing with Fauci is that the fact that he is still now in September of 23, that he is still now on television, that he hasn't been shamed into oblivion, that he still shows up and that they don't mock him relentlessly, well, they often do, uh, is, is just incredible. Here he is, this is uh, two days ago, I believe, on CNN with Michael Smirkanish uh, talking about mask efficacy, watch this. I would hope that if in fact we get to the point where the volume of cases is such and organizations like the CDC recommend, CDC doesn't mandate anything, I mean recommends that people wear masks, I would hope that they abide by the recommendation and take into account the risk to themselves and to their families. And again, we're not talking There's about forcing anybody to do anything. Totally understood. There is a perception out there by many, how many I don't know, that they don't work and that the data concludes that they didn't work in the first go round. Respond to that on masks. Yeah, well, that's not so. The most rigorous and comprehensive analysis of scientific studies conducted on the efficacy of masks for reducing the spread of respiratory illness, including COVID-19, was published last month. Its conclusions, said Tom Jefferson, the Oxford epidemiologist who is the lead author, were unambiguous. There is just no evidence that they, masks, make any difference, he told the journalist Mayan Damasi, full stop. But wait, hold on, what about the N95 masks as opposed to the lower quality? Surgical or cloth masks makes no difference, none of it, he said. Well, what about the studies that initially persuaded policymakers to impose mask mandates? They were convinced by non-randomized studies, flawed observational studies. How do we get beyond that finding of that particular review? Yeah, but there are other studies, Michael, that show at an individual level for individual. When you're talking about the effect on the epidemic or the pandemic as a whole, the data are less strong. Individual level for an individual. That's so interesting because you, Fauci, were the guy pushing for lockdowns and school closures, which weren't at the individual level, right? You weren't saying, oh, you have covid don't go to school today. You were trying to shut down the entire school. Oh, you have COVID, don't go to work today. No, you were trying to shut down the entire economy. So even when he's confronted with studies that say masks do jack shit, and we all know it, right? We all knew it from beat one. Everyone knew it, right? If you had, if you had a one firing neuron left in your brain, which I know they're trying to destroy between mainstream media and social media and endless clicking and blah, 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 blah. But if you were thinking a little bit, everyone knew you put these cloth things on your face, whatever that stupid thing was, it was open here, it was open here, it was open here, it was open here. When you'd meet someone on the street, you'd take your mask down to talk to them because you couldn't hear anything. You'd go to a restaurant, somehow if you were sitting, you could take your mask off. If you were standing, I guess COVID couldn't get over six feet, but it could be that. It was every literally every bit of it was nonsense. And I do want to go on the record one more time. I will never be being injected with any of your nonsense and I am never putting on a mask again, whether it's the alien invasion you tell me I have to put the mask on or the zombie apocalypse or COVID-9, none of it. I am not playing your games anymore. And I'm very proud to say I didn't, I 
you know, within the, I did the two weeks of stop the spread bullshit, but I ain't doing any of it. And I was, and I'm very proud to say that I was uh, awoke, uh, awakened on this thing uh, pretty early on. But what is really going on here? It seems to me that what we've laid out here on this new Rubin Report set today is that we have a government bureaucracy, these three-letter agencies, that seem to be pulling the strings of our old world mainstream media and the entertainment and governmental institutions that are supposed to protect our freedoms. And instead, they're, they're empowering them to push, uh, push away our freedoms, take away our freedoms, and we are going, in essence, from a democracy to a tyrannical regime. And this is happening all over the West. Cue a video of world leaders exposing themselves for what they are, tyrants. Individuals are allowed to make their own choices. There may be all sorts of different reasons why someone is hesitant to get vaccinated. And therefore, while not forcing anyone to get vaccinated, enforcement measures in place will make sure that everyone is vaccinated. People to have their jobs, to keep their jobs, were forced to have the vaccination. Now, do you retract your statement that they were not forced? Uh, Senator, no, I, I believe firmly that nobody was forced to have a vaccine. As people that don't want this mandatory vaccine, how do we manage well, this? Well, then they won't be going to work. Okay. It's very, very simple. I believe everybody was offered an opportunity to get a vaccine or not get a vaccine. I don't believe that anybody was forced to take a vaccine. We have said no, you must get vaccinated. Um, in terms of the vaccine mandates, I acknowledge that it was a challenging time for people, but they made, ultimately made their own choices. A vaccine mandate is being expanded to around 40% of all workers. You basically see it to two different classes of people. If you're vaccinated or if you're unvaccinated, you have all these rights. If you are vaccinated... That is what it is, so, yep. Hospitality, hairdressers and gyms can operate at all levels if they ask customers for a vaccine certificate. There was no, there was no compulsory vaccination. People made their own choices. And so it follows that if customers must be vaccinated, then so too must the workers. I want to be clear, guys. Uh, we're going to have a compulsory non-vaccination policy here at the Rubin Report. When they come... Back, when they bring back COVID, and you know it's coming right before the election. I'll talk to the camera. It's coming right before the election. They're going to bring it. And again, it's going to be alien apocalypse, climate, whatever the hell they're coming up with. And they're coming up with it because people keep falling for this BS, right? That's how it is. But I just want to be clear to the people in this studio. If you are vaccinated, you are fired. I am not going to have your freakish blood anywhere near me. That's the way we're doing it, okay? I'm not risking it. I've got kids now. I can't have you weirdos near me. But why am I doing this, right? Why am I comeback show? Am I focusing on COVID and the lies and all of that? Because it is still happening, people. I saw this one this morning and I was like, because remember, even though I've been somewhat back on the grid for the last 10 days, we've mostly been big, uh, fixing up the studio and everything else. I was checking the news a little bit, but I, I really just officially dove back in this morning, a little bit yesterday and then this morning. I saw this, uh, this tweet by Jay Bhattacharya. Now you guys know Jay Bhattacharya. I've had him on the show several times. Uh, he is a scientist and professor at Stanford University. He is he he was one of the one of the original people doing it right on COVID from beat one. He is now advising Governor DeSantis here in Florida uh, when it comes to pandemics and things of that nature. Check this out. Uh, what's happening over at Michigan University? Right, you know, University of Michigan. At the University of Michigan, students testing positive. Uh, testing COVID positive must leave their dorms for five days and live in the community. A hotel room or a relative's house is okay. This cruel policy is designed to spread COVID from the university into the wild. It won't stop COVID from spreading. And he tags University of Michigan and you can see he has their policy down there. So really think about this insanity that is still happening right now. University of Michigan is supposedly an elite school, right? That means a kid, this is a 19-year-old kid, right? He's a sophomore at University of Michigan. He gets COVID. He's around a bunch of other young, healthy people. Now, a lot of them are taking bongits. I suppose it's college, and I guess that could affect your lungs over a period of time, but most of them are pretty healthy. What you're saying is you got to get out. You got to go to a hotel. Oh, don't infect your dorm mates and the kids who are all young and healthy. Go to the random hotel. Oh, go to your relatives. Kill grandma. 
But we're back at the beginning. And again, a certain amount of people are always going to swallow it. So guys, you gotta just remember, as we move forward through the madness, it's not just the mainstream media or the late night TV show hosts that are increasingly becoming irrelevant or the government. It's actually all the pundits. It's the entire machine. So who else is propagandizing you and can't pull their heads out of their butts? I was 50-50 on showing you this clip that we're about to show you because as I mentioned earlier, uh, in 2015, when, when the Rubin Report officially took off, when I started doing a long-form interview show, show, uh, show, so we had left the Young Turks already, where I was doing more of like a view hot topics kind of thing, and we started doing the long-form interview. My first sit-down, it was, it was basically eight years ago this week, if I'm not mistaken, it was, I think we did it on September 9th, today's September 5th, we did it on September 9th, uh, 2015. It was with Sam Harris a neuroscientist and a mindful meditation expert, I guess you could say, Sam Harris, and he had been an outspoken uh, critic of religion. He was part of the New Atheists, all of this, and he was getting involved in politics. He was also very critical of collectivism and a lot of the stuff that was wrong with the left. And okay, that was the first interview that I did. Over the last couple of years, Sam has sort of, you know, we've watched the New Atheist movement fall apart. Sam really kind of went crazy with Trump derangement syndrome. This segment, you know, you know what? I'm going to actually make an official statement. This is the last time we're going to talk about him on the show because this actually brings me no pleasure because Sam and I became friends. He and his wife came over to dinner at our house many, many times. We, we went out a lot and watching him kind of go off the deep end. So this is the last time we're going to talk about him on the show. Uh, but Sam Harris, uh, who was an, who was, the reason I'm playing this is because he was one of the thought leaders of what was thought to be the sane left. Uh, he went on Russell Brand's podcast. And Russell Brand, I would include in an actual sane left. He may be the only guy left, half of Bill Maher. Uh, but Russell Brand has a podcast on Rumble. Uh, Sam went on there and they talked about Big Pharma. And, and listen to Sam after all of this COVID craziness, all of the lies, all of the money that they made and the immunity that they got from lawsuits and everything else. Sam's still defending Big Pharma. It, there's some trade-off between uh, g remunerating people for the risks they take and and the and the and the and the work they do, and allowing, despite the despite the obvious possibility of weird incentives, allowing for people to get spectacularly wealthy when they get lucky based on their own intelligence. Right? They 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 produce something that's immensely valuable to us, a new antibiotic. And we should let them get rich, right? And, and if, if you have an alternative to that, well, by by all means, uh, express it. But would, to my knowledge, we, we haven't found one. I would like to express an alternative, but also outline a few things within your hypothesis. No one is conducting that research at Pfizer precisely because it isn't profitable. So this tells us precisely the mentality that governs at Pfizer. And when indeed there is innovation, you might find that it came from BioNTech in Germany, who were funded by the German taxpayers. And you might find that Pfizer's profits were mm. garnered by t t charging the American taxpayers who paid for that Pfizer, uh, apparent Pfizer innovation, but actually a BioNTech innovation anyway. Look, I really want to give the devil his due on this one. I am all for people getting rich. I love capitalism. And if you bring something to the market, you create an incredible new vaccine that actually works. You create an incredible new glass that holds water in it so people... That guy deserves some cash. I am all for that. The problem is, as Russell is alluding to, the entire system is rigged. You don't want to create a system where big pharma is completely uh, unable to be sued if they kill a whole bunch of people or where they can hide all of their records or the same people who are supposed to be watching what big pharma is doing all end up in the government. Or it turns out that the people like Anthony Fauci who are supposed to protect us from viruses are also funding things like gain of function research in Wuhan labs, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, so unfortunately, I think that's a little bit of a blind spot for Sam, but really, I'm, I'm, it's not, it brings me no pleasure. Uh, but the point of that was that the, the last libs, the last libs, the people that I focus on all the time, and why do I do it? Is it partly because, where's the book? It's over this shoulder. The first book, Don't Burn This Book, it was a defense of classical liberalism, which is a set of ideas worth defending. Individual rights and laissez-faire economics and logic and reason, these are all worth defending. 
But if you want to defend those things, you must get rid of all of these people that I've been critiquing and mocking throughout the show and, and the people that they end up voting for. And mostly that is the Democrats at this point. And that does not mean you have to be a Republican, right? Because the Republicans will fail you. As Peter Thiel often says, uh, we have the evil party and the stupid party. The evil party's the Democrat party. The Republicans are the stupid party. It doesn't mean the Republicans are great. You get some diamonds in the rough every now and again, right? You get DeSantis every now and again. You get what's happening in a highly functional Florida every now and again. But the people that can be moved right now are the people who are those ex-libs. Like, we have this crazy election coming up, right? And, and we shall see. And I, I do not believe we'll save this for tomorrow and the rest of the week and the rest of the year. Like, I don't think any of the polls make sense. I, I, it, it's, there's so much nonsense in the system right now. The, the ether has been poisoned and, and it's, it's putrid at the moment. But there is a certain set of people that can move. Right? It's not the hardcore leftist woke lunatics. It's not the ultra-right people, right? But there is this certain type of person that can move. So now let's flash back to Rogan with Marr uh, discussing uh, how the woke and the extremists have destroyed the term liberal, something you all know well about, but it is worth repeating because those are the people that we got to save. Because you don't toe the line. They should be. Exactly. You you're like a '90s liberal. You're like liberals back when they were more reasonable before they became leftists. And now every liberal kind of has to be a leftist. It's not. It's not. If you want to be on the team, you got to subscribe to the most fringe ideas that the team is promoting. And I get in trouble with that too. It's I'm, strange. I'm always trying to make the case that liberal is a different animal than woke yeah because it is and uh, you can be woke with all the nonsense that that now implies um but don't say that somehow it's an extension of liberalism right because it's most often actually an undoing of liberalism it's so you can have your points of view and your positions on these things but don't try to piggyback on what I've always believed. I have always believed, as liberals do, for example, in a colorblind society, that the goal is to not see race at all anywhere for any reason. Yes. That's what liberals always believed all the way through. Obama, going back, Kennedy, everybody, Martin Luther King. That's not what the woke believe. They believe race is first and foremost the thing you should always see everywhere which I find interesting because that used to be the position of the Ku Klux Klan, that we see race first and foremost everywhere. All right, people, I know what you're thinking because I can read your mind through these computer waves. Uh, Bill, you're right about a lot of stuff, but then you get the conclusion wrong. Like, he also said, as Brock just pointed out, this idea that Obama was colorblind is completely insane. But which side are you planting your flag on? Look, we live in a two-party system. It, it is what it is. You may not like that. You may want us to have more of a, you know, European-style democracy where they have all of these different parties and, you know, there's 10 different parties trying to create a coalition so that you can really just vote for the people who are, you know, it might just be a micro-party that is really just focused on your issue. I want weed everywhere. And you can vote for that party and maybe they can get in the coalition and do something. You might want that, but we happen to live in a two-party system right now. So if you, Bill Maher, want to live, say this with love, Bill, uh, if you, Bill Maher, and you, Joe Rogan, if you want to live in that colorblind society, you cannot vote for Democrats. You cannot. Yes, you can say, and it's the same thing I said when I had uh, RFK Jr. on here uh, about two months ago. It's like you're, you're still sort of thinking of the Democrats of yesteryear as if they're the Democrats of today. So I get it. You can name a lot of old Democrats. I can name a whole bunch of dead Democrats who made a lot of sense years ago. Uh, but Joe, we're not in the 90s anymore. So Joe, if I'm not mistaken, doesn't vote. I, I could be wrong on this. I'd be happy to be corrected if I am. Uh, but he, he, I guess, didn't have the balls or he can talk about politics all day long but didn't vote. I actually don't even mean that as an attack on him. What I'm saying is now get to the conclusion. You gotta damn well vote for Trump or DeSantis or whoever it's gonna be on the Republican side if you, we have any chance to get out of this, right? And and Bill, you can't the day before the, the midterms like you did uh, just about 10 months ago, you can't say you have to vote Democrat if you wanna save democracy all the while the house is burning and we got bigger problems. Uh, that, in essence, is what I said to Bill Maher one year ago 
this very week. First of all, you got to break up with your boyfriend, Donald Trump. Who would you say is more authentic, him or Joe Biden? Him. Who's more authentic, him or Elizabeth Warren? But authentic doesn't mean good. If you're authentically a crazy person. Pretty good when he was president. What what was pretty good? We weren't in a recession. The border was a little bit better. We didn't have a crazy war in Ukraine. Like He hasn't conceded the election. For four years when he was president, Hillary Clinton, he's an illegitimate president. Stacey She didn't say that. Yes, she did. I met him and I kind of was like, all right, he's not evil. He's not Hitler and he's certainly not a homophobe. I used to have these Trump rallies on Sundays. They didn't burn down Rodeo drive like Black Lives Matter. And I'm telling you, you could have walked in that audience. Yes, would a certain amount of people have been like, ah, fuck Bill Maher and (laughs) But But you know what? A lot of people would have been there like, you know what, Bill Maher's here, that's pretty cool. Think how different that would be than if you went to an AOC rally where you would be hated beyond imagination. You're right. It's just true. It's It's just true. The left are more purists. Yeah. So look. I don't like sides. Everyone wants to evolve out of, oh, you're blue, you're red, you're Republican, you're a Democrat, you're this, you're that, liberal, conservative, blah. But within this fight that we are in, we have a limited set of choices. And, and I think, especially within the, the framework of an upcoming election, we gotta do our damnedest, guys, to wake up the people who watch Rachel Maddow. Is she, does she still have a show? What, what happened to her? Did, I, they booted her, right? I don't even know if she, no, oh, she does, or she's iconic. The point is, we have to wake up those people. We have to wake up the, the NPCs, the people who still wanna swallow the lies, the people who will comply and put on the mask when they tell them, the people who won't go to work when they tell them they won't, the people who will, who will swallow the lies that, that they absolutely know to be untrue. Oh, oh, they didn't lock us down? They said they didn't lock us down. They said they didn't force us to be vaccinated, but a certain set of people will continue to do it. And it is our job and it is my job in this new studio where you can see me now with the desk. Let it breathe, man. Uh, It is my job and your job as a sane person to wake up as many people as possible. Uh, I don't know if you can tell, but I am feeling rejuvenated and reinvigorated and I am ready to roll. Uh, I know today's show is a bit of sort of the, the greatest hits in terms of the theme of what we do here. Obviously, that's not what we're gonna be doing every day going forward. We're gonna be diving back into all of the madness. And I promise you, to all of the people that say hello to me at Whole Foods and at the airport, I will continue to try to keep you sane uh, because that's the exchange, right? For those of you that have afforded me, and I really mean this to the people on Locals, that for the people that throw in a couple bucks so that we can stay independent for all of the reasons that I just laid out over this last 57 minutes, uh, the exchanges for a couple bucks a month or whatever it is that you throw in, uh, that the favor I can give back to you is that I can communicate some of this so we can wake up some more people and then, man, maybe we can get that to scale and we can save this thing. I actually think we can. I should note that we only played one very minor clip, about seven seconds, of the elderly man pretending to be President Joe Biden on the show today. So we're gonna cold close it with him. We are gonna do a post-game show as we always do at rubenreport.locals.com in about 30 seconds. I thank you for watching. Let's go to that side shot one more time. You're good people. Thank you for watching the program. We'll be back tomorrow. Thanks, guys. I'm super psyched to be back. And again, thanks to to the guys in this room. Thanks to you guys at home. And we are going to be expanding. You're going to see all sorts of different angles, different things. Uh, Live in-studio audience, or live in-studio audience. I may be saying too much. We're going to do some live in-person interviews here. Maybe there's something else happening with an audience, but uh, I can't swear to that. I'm not on trial here. Goodbye. Can you imagine looking at your child? We're changing people's lives. We beat Farmer this year. Think about what you'd think about. How quickly you forget? Takes everything away from you. Without unions, there'd be no middle class. I'm sick of this stuff. Well, I'm sick and tired of smart guys. Not more, fewer. He was a patriot. There is not a single thing we cannot do. Not a single thing. Thank you. Go get him.
Thanks for tuning in to The Rubin Report. You can watch the show live every weekday at 11 a.m. Eastern and 8 a.m. Pacific on Rumble, Locals, and YouTube. Don't forget to rate, review, share, and subscribe to this podcast. And you can join me for the post-game wrap-up every day after the show at rubinreport.locals.com.